Hi, this is Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast, the podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. In this week's episode, Nate Vanderstelt talks to Steve Smith about spirit-powered movements. Steve, it is uh, good to have you here, brother. And uh, there are people listening in eagerly in terms of what's happening with you. And um, as if you don't have enough going, you thought, hey, let's throw in a book and give a little bit of panoramic view of what's going on. <laughs> Talk to us, brother, for the first little bit. Give us sure. a, little, a little insight of what's happening. And I'll have some questions for you shortly. Well, probably a lot of you guys have been inundated with talking about the new book, Spirit Walk. I just wanted to kind of give you a little bit of background about just sort of how this all came about. You know, for 10 years, um, I was a church planter in Los Angeles, and I thought I, I understood multiplication strategies. And I think, you know, they were infant steps, as it were, toward multiplication. But really, it wasn't until the last 20 years when I, my family and I moved to Asia, and we've lived all over since then, that God's really um, just gotten a hold of our hearts and our minds to say, how can we see Acts, the book of Acts repeated over and over and over again? I mean, it's in the record for a reason. And as, when I began to learn what it really meant to multiply disciples, not just for me as a experienced, you know, believer to make a disciple, but to help a new believer make disciples and to form churches that could be simple enough and yet biblically strong enough that they could multiply themselves. And the same thing with leaders. Until I understood that, I think that for a lot of years, I was still sort of in shackles in terms of my burden to see the lost reached, but not really having a biblical you know, mechanism to see them reached effectively. Really, for the last 20 years, then, our, our personal efforts have been steered toward church planting movements, or what we might call disciple-making movements. There's a lot of terms to describe these types of kingdom movements, which we see in the book of Acts. But when I was working in Asia 20 years ago, we saw a movement emerge where churches began to just multiply rapidly throughout the mountains. But honestly, you know, you guys, at that time, I could count on two hands, maybe a third hand, the number of similar movements there were in the world. It's 10, maybe 15. And in the last um, few months, we've come to realize now that there's over 650 of those globally existing on all the six inhabited continents. And so God's really doing something. And the reason this book came about was it came about after years of working with CPM practitioners. And there's three basic areas that have to be in place when an organization or an individual wants to see a movement emerge. There's, first of all, there's, and I, I just, I call them three Ps because it's easy for me to remember alliteration, but the first is the spiritual posture that God's people are posturing themselves, humbling themselves under his hand. They're being led by his spirit. Their, their vision is what's on his heart, not for their own kingdom. And they're willing to sacrifice to see a movement of God emerged. That's, that's a spiritual posture. But second, then we have a path, a simple path that we can help 
new believers walk down that helps them do everything that, that the Bible says to do. So, for instance, it, it's a discipleship path that they can live out, but they can also disciple or train someone else in the same path, how, how to grow in their faith, how to make disciples, how to uh, help disciples then begin maturing through the discipleship process, how to form healthy biblical communities that we call churches, and how to raise up leaders that meet biblical qualifications. So that's a path, and that path has got to be pretty simple, or else only the experts or the longtime Christians can do it. And for a number of years as a church planter, my, my systems, my path was too complicated. But then third, we can have a path on how to help people do evangelism, discipleship, church planting. But unless we have a regular, usually a weekly process where we meet with disciples to take time to look back and review how did the week go in our personal walk, in our implementation, how did, how did the week go? We look up to say, Father, what do you have for us this week? We really want to encounter you this week through your word. And then we take time to look ahead to say, how are we going to plan? Unless we've got this type of discipling process, then any tools we put in disciples' hands just don't work because we have no mechanism to train them. Well, the reason that, that this book came about was what I was finding was that as a young church planning movement practitioner myself, I was assuming that the spiritual posture was already in place. And so I began to help myself, get help for myself and help others with figuring out a path that could get to multiplication, not just one plus one plus one. And second, helping uh, practitioners, including getting help myself, find a process whereby we could use that simple tools, those paths that we had to help disciples begin to begin implementing these things. But what I found was sometimes I found many believers uh, were working hard at the path. Man, they were coming up with some great tools that worked in their worldviews, animistic, you know, oral, whatever their worldview might be. Second, they were doing a pretty good job at really weakly discipling their, their believers that were rising up from the harvest. But I was assuming that the spiritual posture was in place as a foundation for what needed to happen. And here's the deal. If you have a path and you have a discipleship process devoid of the daily, hourly empowerment of the Holy Spirit, they're just mechanics. You're going through the motions. And so I began to be, begin working with missionaries, which I was shocked that missionaries uh, didn't understand what it meant to daily walk in the Spirit. I began to work with local pastors, local church planters, local disciples, and for years then began helping them through the basic uh, biblical process the Bible describes of how every disciple should daily be filled with the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, and bear the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, all of those types of things. And I stopped assuming. And when I stopped assuming, we began to see remarkable results in the change of our efforts in our ministries. And so that's what I really want to talk about with you today, Nate. And, and as I'm talking, let me just say this before we go into the Q&A that you have. I think there's going to be three types of people listening on this call because this is a pretty diverse group. I think on the one hand, there's going to be some potential CPM practitioners. Uh, you're a part of GACX. You believe in multiplication. 
but maybe you don't really understand how to get to uh, some of the principles of implementation of multiplication. And the cool thing is now on really every one of the six continents, we've got practitioners probably not too far from you that can walk with you to help you learn how to just model for you and implement multiplication strategies. Second, there's going to be some people on the call who are, are what I would call frustrated practitioners. I was frustrated, a frustrated practitioner for about three and a half years. And sometimes you're frustrated because uh, the path you're on, the processes you're using are not reproducible. That's sometimes the issue, but sometimes the issue is really, it's, it's not that. It's, it's, it's the spirit walk, that there's, there's a lack of empowerment in your life to, to really empower these things that you're using as tools. And that's something we can talk about today. And then third, there's going to be some of you guys that are fruitful practitioners you're seeing, uh, or your organizations are seeing lots of fruit, lots of multiplication. You're seeing movements beginning to emerge. And my message to you is, is the same message I gave myself several years ago. Stop assuming. Stop assuming that your personnel, stop assuming that your national brothers and sisters understand what it means to walk in the power of the Spirit each day. Steve, excellent start. And, and thanks for that bigger framework piece. What's interesting is you talk about your journey going from L.A. to Asia and to work with a set of assumptions. And those assumptions have been vetted. They've been kind of fired in the metal uh, of, uh, of just, uh, I'm, they've been fired and checked what's been refined. And you talk about the posture spiritually in which we take. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been said that what we in the West call Pentecostal, the rest of the world calls Christianity. Mm-hmm. Uh, could you tell us how you have observed in movements around the world in relationship to the Holy Spirit? What, what have yeah. you learned? Well, you know, one thing I should probably make clear from the beginning is this is a Baptist talking to you. So I wasn't raised in a Pentecostal, a charismatic background. I, 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 if you see me in worship, I'm not going to be all crazy. And, you know, there's there's different types of expression of worship. So I, I'm just, just teasing right now. But the, the interesting thing is... Um, you're exactly right, Nate, you know, what we call Pentecostalism, the rest of the world just knows as normal Christianity. And what, what we mean by that is that they, they don't know not to expect the Holy Spirit to do everything he did in the Gospels and in the book of Acts. Uh, in fact, I remember one of the first churches that we formed in Asia, and I remember going to visit a group of the leaders, uh, actually from several of those churches, and they had been in the faith only six to 12 months. But when I saw them interacting in worship and interacting in fellowship, they were doing things that only a mature spirit-led believer could do. And I realized no one taught them these things other than the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. So theologically, I wouldn't say the rest of the world would be what we would call classic Pentecostal. Uh, they're just simply practitioners, of everything that the Holy Spirit is. And one thing I appreciate, you know, Peter said this in 2 Peter 1.1. He said, you know, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Now listen to this part. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. In other words, Peter, the apostle saying, the faith that you young believers have received is of equal standing, including 
all of the empowerment, all of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life to live out the fruit of the Spirit, you've got the same Spirit in you. So what I'm trying to do is try to help the majority of the Western church, uh, which I've been a part of for most of my life, help this majority that's not maybe grown up in, in more charismatic or Pentecostal realms understand and not be afraid of who Holy Spirit is. In fact, in my church growing up, uh, we had a theology of the Holy Spirit, our theology of the Trinity, rather. Our theology was Father, Son, and Holy Scripture. We, we just, we really, we were a little bit afraid of the Holy Spirit, and we shouldn't be. Because the Bible, I love what the Bible says twice about the Holy Spirit. Twice the Holy Spirit calls, uh, twice the Bible calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Jesus. And we all love Jesus. And what we're just saying is we just want the presence of Jesus with us every day. Steve, the, the work here in terms of the Spirit, both in your life and your awareness, um, it, it sounds like it's been expanded and deepened. It hasn't been radically changed, right? And, right. and, and you talked about this journey that, that's been going along the way. Um, as, as you reflect on that and, and you think about church planting movements, uh, really a movement of God, what are the most important qualities of a CPM that emerge? And what does the spirit play in that mm-hmm. process? Yeah. I, you know, I think the biggest thing I had to overcome leaving LA and going to Asia was to, to begin to actually trust the Holy Spirit in the life of a new believer. Because I know I trust the Holy Spirit in me. And Nate, I think I could trust the Holy Spirit in you because you've got a lot of spiritual depth. But can I trust the Holy Spirit in a one-week-old, you know, a one-month-old believer? And I had to go through a radical repenting in my own mind to say, no, that's what happened in Acts over and over again. And so, as I mentioned in the beginning, what we want to do in movements is always balance those three areas I was mentioning. Every one of us has got to have a very robust path that we help believers walk down that where they can you know, basically do five things. First, they have to know how to enter into their, their circle of influence, their oikos, or maybe a, to a new community and find those God-prepared people. Now, it could be a new place where these are persons of peace, or it could be into their own oikos. In fact, I, I'm, I live in Houston right now, and a big emphasis right now and a movement we're a part of in Houston is helping our current believers start mining their, their households, their oikoses, rather than simply going to find new people. So that's the first thing we have to do in terms of our path. The second thing is then we have to know how to do a reproducible form of evangelism so that it's not just something I can do, but you know, a one-hour-old believer could learn a very simple way to share his testimony and share the eternal gospel with somebody. And then they'll continue to grow in that third then we need to have a discipling process to help disciples mature, both for the short term and the long term. But this has got to be a reproducing discipleship process. And I'll explain more about that in a second. And then fourth, we need to have a way to form churches that can meet anywhere. Now, they might meet in brick and mortar buildings, or they might meet under mango trees or in a home, someplace like that. And then fifth, what we found the key to every movement to sustaining a movement is leadership development. And unless we can multiply and grow leaders, then 
every movement, doesn't matter who starts it, will eventually plateau and reach maybe 100, 200 churches, and then it stops because of leadership overload. We have too many churches for the number of leaders that we've got. So everyone needs to know how to walk down this five-fold path of entering into a new place, evangelizing, discipling, church planting, and then leadership development. Then that second area I mentioned, that's the path. Then we need to have a process to to train them in. Now, this is very simple. Um, What I found is I've looked at, you know, 600 plus movements around the world. I haven't looked at all 600, but I've looked at hundreds of movements around the world. What I found, no matter what the path is that people are using, virtually everyone has something that we call a three-thirds process. And in their weekly meetings, what the disciples are doing is they're taking time to look back during the first third of their meeting to evaluate where we really doers of the word and not just hearers. Second, they're taking time in the second third of their meeting to look up and encounter God through his word and say, this week, God, what do you want to give to us? And what I found about that is a lot of times what we do in this part of the meeting is we give people way too much. Um, For instance, we, we want to stuff the whole Bible through the straw of their spiritual receptacle. And it's just, it's just too much. They can't do this. But there is a way I can get this entire Bible through this straw if I will take time to just tear it into small enough pieces and I can push each piece down this straw, piece by piece. I can get this whole Bible down there. So in the middle third of our meetings, we're looking up and just getting a bite-sized piece to say, God, what's something I need to hear today from you, from your word, that I can obey and I can pass on? And then in the last third, we look ahead. And we spend time in the last third of our meetings to say, what are we going to actually do with this? How are we going to share this with someone? How could I train my own group of people? And let's practice it together, set some goals by the power of God's Spirit leading us. And what we found is it's not just that every movement has a simple path, but they also have that that process, that three-thirds process, to equip believers in that path. And then the third major area, of course, that I mentioned is that they have uh, a spiritual posture. Man, their vision is is not their vision. They're consumed by by God's heart for their people. I knew in one city where the, the original missionary went to six national leaders in that city, national church leaders, and said, I can show you a way that the hundred believers in your three house churches could reach this city in three and a half years. Five years later, We sent in a church planning movement assessment team for the movement that began there. And we interviewed a young woman who had been a believer just maybe three months. And she said, we've got this huge vision. And they said, what's the vision? She said, our vision is that we can reach the city in three and a half years, even though this was five years later. But they were so consumed by God's vision. And what it caused them to do is to humble themselves to say, we can only do this by the the spirit of God. And what I found is this, uh, Jesus really meant what he said in Acts 1.8. He said, you're going to receive power. And then when you're clothed with this power from on high, then you'll be my witnesses. And too often we've been neglecting that power. And I would say this, uh, just in closing on this one subject, I was really struck yesterday as I was reading the scriptures in Matthew 23, 
where Jesus said, the scribes and Pharisees tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. And too many times our processes and our paths are so weighty that a new believer is just too heavy for them to implement. But Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. When we make the discipleship process something that fits where they are, it can fit through their ever-growing straw, then by the empowerment of the Spirit, we're going to be amazed at what God can do through them. Steve, this is powerful stuff. And uh, by the way, as you're listening for this webinar live, if you have questions, go ahead and type those into your uh, chat box and we'll address those as we can. Earlier, you talked about the fact that on the path, you found it your paradigm to be quite complicated. (laughs) And uh, you just finished talking about the path. And one of the things that you refer to, uh, even in your writing, is an ancient path. Mm-hmm. And and let me thread the final piece of this question is the fact that you've observed 600 plus minus organizations, ways in which to be part of movements. Why is this ancient path piece so prominent now in your reality as you're observing this? What does this mean and, and how does this relate to personal discipleship? Mm. Well, if I'm if I'm really honest with you, Nate, uh, there have been times in my Christian life where I didn't need, did not feel that I needed the Holy Spirit. My Christian props were good enough for discipleship, for worship, uh, for the basics of the Christian life. That you know, I had my devotional helps. Um, I had you know sermons on Sunday that were easy to download from you know my my church. Uh, all of these things were in place, and I really don't think I needed the Holy Spirit. Uh, when I became a church planter in L.A., uh, I became much more desperate to realize, wow, how can you reach a city of, you know, over 10 million with, you know, just a team of two, my, my wife and myself? How, how can that happen? God, we need you more than ever. And then moving to Asia with the teaming, you know, hundreds of millions, uh, just realizing ever more, okay, I've got to go back and figure out what happened here because Paul and his teams probably felt that way a lot of times. And what I found is I take, often take believers, church planters, missionaries through a study of Paul's three journeys. And one of the, almost always, the first conclusion that they always bring up, it's just amazing, it's just how consistent it is. And I say, what are the lessons we learned from Paul? And the first one's always, wow, Paul and his team were led by the Spirit. Sometimes the Spirit would say, go here. Sometimes he would say he would not permit them to go there, and they would go over here. Sometimes they would get beaten and then immediately get right back up. How could that happen? And it was obviously because they understood something in their time that we oftentimes have forgotten. We, we have this sort of generational spiritual amnesia as a church because we do have so many good props. Now, I'm not, I'm not dissing the props, but it's easy to let the props become a substitute for the power of the Spirit in our lives every day. What I appreciate about Paul was when he commanded uh, the believers in that biggest movement he was a part of, which was in Ephesus, in Ephesians 5.18, as he's teaching them about spiritual growth, his command to them, ordinary believers, is to continually 
be filled with the Spirit. And then they would begin bearing the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. Galatians, he did the same thing. He said, be led by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. And then you're going to bear the fruit of the Spirit. This was an ancient path that the early believers understood. It was understood because Jesus himself modeled it. When Jesus left the wilderness and came into Nazareth and opened the scroll to Isaiah, the first thing he announced is the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to do all of these things that he was about to describe. So this was the ancient path that Jesus, that the early disciples walked. And to, to help us understand, I think there's four parallel terms to the same experience. Jesus said it in John 15. He said, abide in me and let my word abide in you. So abiding, in other words, living our life rooted in Christ. Another way that it was said was in Colossians 3, 16 and 17, where he says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. In other words, let his mind, his word completely control your mind and your heart and your actions. Uh, Paul said the same thing in Galatians 5. In a different way, he said, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us be led by the Spirit. And then, of course, the famous phrase that we're all familiar with from Ephesians 5, you know, to be continually filled with the Spirit. These were all interchangeable ideas, just different terms for the same spiritual process, which was to live our lives rooted in Christ. In fact, let me just, let me just read. I was in, in, my, in my devotional time yesterday morning in Psalm 105. I was reading this, and I was, I was shocked. In Psalm 105, verse 4, it says, seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. And that's what the ancient path is, is seeking his presence continually. And let me just, let me just share this, and then I'll turn it back over to you, Nate, for another question. Mm-hmm. One missionary that I was training in this, this, this spirit walk process, just helping them understand, not just be filled with the spirit. What does the Bible actually say about how do, how do I walk that out? He wrote me an email uh, a few weeks later and said, Steve, this has changed my life. And, you know, you get those emails and you're like, right, whatever. So I typed an email back and said, I said, David, what do you mean it's changed your life? And he said, it's made all the difference because forever I had heard pastors say, be filled with the spirit and then then just moved on. But finally, I have a practical way to start humbling myself before God to let him do that hour by hour. And then he said this, for years, I pursued the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, etc. Without the source, which was the filling of the spirit and the fullness of the spirit hourly. He said, once I began to pursue the source, which is Holy Spirit, then the fruit, listen to this. He said, the fruit became effortless to execute. And that's what we're talking about. I want people living transformed lives. I want them living transformed ministries. It's going to only happen as we remove the props and we get back to the ancient walk, which is being led by the Spirit hourly. Mm. Steve, as I'm listening to you, there is a little bit, I think about of a metronome in, in music. And if those familiar with metronomes, you take the slide, you put it real close to the bottom, it just clicks really fast. You put it way up top and it just kind of like watching paint dry, right? It's that slow. You're, 
I've, I'm hearing a metronome rhythm of you in your life with this that is kind of in the middle, that there's a, there's a healthy tick-tock. But what's interesting is you've seen this larger view, and then you intersect two things. One, where you're going and the timeline that you have in your life and in your body, even as you physically deal with health. But you also deal with the here and now, the people that you're talking with every day. So that being said, I want to just give a little bit of a role play and, and just speak to me. And, and I hopefully can represent many of these people on the call. Not that I would give this as the verbal pushback, but you talk to me about biting with the spirit and, and, and having a spirit walk. But my mind says, yeah, but you haven't seen my schedule. You, you don't realize what's all in front of me, not only what I have in the next 24 hours, but I've got this board report, I've got this trip to take, I've got these people to work with, the list goes on. Mm -hmm. Speak to that piece in the rhythm of our lives, in this cadence. Mm. Um, and, and how does what you've seen, not just on the pages, but just to us in audio video, what are you encouraging us as brothers and sisters around the world to consider here? I'm encouraging us to do what the apostles did. The apostles said we can't give ourselves to these things. We've got to devote ourselves to, to the word of God and, and to prayer. And we've got to either rise earlier. Or we've got to find time that we're going to say, I'm starting the day, but let me, let me make sure we're really clear. Um, walking in the spirit or abiding in Christ is not equated with a quiet time. Hopefully, a quiet time for me, mine's in the morning, um, but some of, I know a friend who's his is in the evening. But our devotional time simply is to help us enter into listening throughout the day, whether I'm in a board meeting, whether I'm on a bus to go to uh, an appointment with somebody or whatever it is. And I think that's what Jesus did. I mean, Jesus, there's few people that were busier in terms of encounters than Jesus. And yet we see the rhythm of he would frequently slip away into the wilderness and pray. And yet he also had this ability in the encounters to be listening to the voice of his father. Because he said, I don't do anything except what my father says. I don't do anything except what I see him doing. So I think what we're talking about is not so much a scheduling. It includes scheduling. But it's a change of awareness of, of how am I encountering people? How am I going through these meetings? Last week, I was leading some meetings, and I was very cognizant, hour by hour, is this, is this one part of what we're doing? Is this being led by the Spirit, or have we reverted in some way to our flesh? And organizationally, it's so easy for us to go back into, you know, let's, okay, let's take these things off of our, our minutes, you know, and our, and our, our, our agenda. So that, to me, is the biggest thing is I, I appreciate something I learned from George Mueller. You know, we, we know George Mueller as the man who, who never asked for a penny, but God supplied everything that he needed for his orphanages through prayer. But he had a remarkable view on his morning devotional time. He said, the goal of my morning time is to get my soul happy in Jesus. And honestly, whether it's five minutes 15 minutes, an hour, whatever that time is that you start, depending on what interrupts your day, 
my goal is not to leave. I have a chair right over here that is my quiet time chair. My goal is not to leave that chair until I feel like I have been clothed afresh with powerful on high. My soul is happy in Jesus, and I'm ready to go through the encounters of the day, walking and listening to him. Mm. Mm. Steve, this is like fresh bread. I love it. Um, one of the things I just would observe, and I talked with a good friend recently, having observed him in very active ministry, I asked him a question just because I was observing what was going on. I asked him the question, when's the last time you took a good healthy break? And, and I used the sabbatical word, actually, uh, in this case. Good. And it totally caught him off guard. And um, I just asked the question that it was just an observation piece. I think sometimes for our, in, in our lives, if we can't find that rhythm on that daily basis, and it takes time to do that because we, it takes time over, you know, a long time to form the habits, good and bad, right? Uh, as I personally took three days last year, just totally off the grid totally ambushed me in great ways. Mm-hmm. And even as this good friend has just entered into a sabbatical literally for six weeks, you could hear in the voice a bit of a parchedness and eager anticipation and a holy nervousness mm-hmm. about, oh, oh, Lord, do you really want me to go there? That's right. But what I'm catching through this, I think what we're hearing through this, Steve, more, far more than just a book, and, and though that's hugely helpful and, and it's exciting to have people start to pick this up and understand this more, it's that piece of leadership, of rhythm, of how we're doing what we're doing. And it's not just what we're called to do, but who we're called to be. Right. And, and that's part of what I hear. You want to respond to that just a little bit, and yeah. I have a couple questions and for you. One thing, one thing Nate... I think you'll, you'll find really clear in the book. There's four basic areas that the Bible refers to in the New, New Testament that are part of the, the daily and weekly being filled with continually and being led by the Holy Spirit. I won't go through all four of them, but the second one that I outline in here is, is the waiting piece, because we've got to wait on God. We, we can't force God's hand. If we could, we, we would be God and he wouldn't. And there's two types of waiting that Jesus and his disciples went through in terms of walking in the spirit. There are sort of what I call the 40 day times, you know, Jesus is 40 days in the wilderness. And so I think that was very wise advice to your friend to take a sabbatical uh, because there are things that only God can only deal with in the context of a, of a longer period of time. And for me, you know, two or three days is the minimum that I can have for that type of thing. And so I, I call my, my longer times, like those three day getaways or whatever. I, I just figuratively call them 40 day times to get away and hear the bigger messages. Let God root out some sin in my life that maybe I couldn't hear on a daily basis. And then there's the second thing, which is that, that Luke four twenty three, where Jesus would make frequent forays out in the wilderness to pray. And so, you know, that to me, my frequent forays are to stay topped up, you know, the, the getting away for the longer periods of time is to get refilled, filling that tank afresh. But I want to stay topped up every day. And for me, my devotional times are just a chance for me, like Mueller did, to get my soul re-happy in Jesus, as it were. And we need both of those. And those are both important rhythms. And I would just say to every listener on, on this webinar, 
you, the only way you're going to do the frequent, not the frequent forage, but the only way you're going to do the longer periods of time is you've just got to put them on your calendar and, and just say, this will not be violated. And it doesn't have to be six weeks. That's wonderful. But my goodness, even get, taking three days, and I actually provide a little outline of how to do that type of thing in here. And just get away and wait on God, hear from Him, and then let Him act upon your life. Mm-hmm. Steve, when did this book really well up in your soul to write? Well, it was something that God put on my heart about seven years ago. And I just began to, it was because I realized I had been assuming these things were in place and mature believers that I was seeing. And then I realized when I would ask some basic questions, they were not in place. So I just began to specifically begin teaching on this process in addition to the church planting mechanics and so forth, which are, are important also. And as I began to train hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people and see the change in their life, I realized, okay, we've got to get this written down somehow. And that's, that was sort of the genesis of this. Mm. There's a question that uh, I'd received, and, and I'll just read this. So I think I'm doing all the things right, trying to walk in the feeling of the spirit, but sometimes things can seem very hard. What's wrong? Um, in other words, that's a very candid inside snapshot of of this cadence, this this rhythm. How do you respond to something like that? Yeah, well, I think. You know, the bigger question is, is what are the hard things that we're talking about here? Um, let me let me respond in two ways, because I don't know the brother or sister that mm-hmm. wrote that. I don't know fully what we're talking about here. But, but sometimes the spiritual walk can feel hard, even as we're trying to walk in the spirit, uh, because there's some deep issues. Really, honestly, some deep issues God's wanting to root out of our life. I remember God forced me into a sabbatical. Uh, that I didn't want to take. And I thought everything was going well in my life spiritually. I was trying to walk in the spirit. And there were just some bigger issues he wanted to work out in my life. And it was a hard, hard period that I don't want to repeat. Mm. But I needed it. And so if it's a spiritual hardness in terms of things that are hard to do, I understand that. And it may just be because of the season that we're walking through. Uh, The other could be ministry hardness. And what I found is um, I... I remember early on in my CPM days, um, I was trying to work with a group in terms of their CPM strategy, and they were really, they were okay on the walking the spirit part of things. I mean, they had that well understood. And when I said to them, hey, can I work with you on your CPM strategy, sort of the path and the process part of things? They're like, no, brother, you know, we're just going to be led by the spirit. We don't need any of that. Well, that's a little bit, you know, ignorant, because Paul frequently said to the disciples he was writing to, you know, you know the pattern that we have given you, that we have passed on from church to church, just as we teach in all of our churches everywhere. He said this several times. So he had some very clear patterns that he used. It's, it's much easier for a new believer to walk out something that they've learned by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit than to create something from scratch by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So if things feel hard in ministry and you feel like you're doing okay spiritually in terms of your spiritual posture, it may be that we need to go back and examine some of the mechanics of what we're actually mm. doing. A lot of times they're just either not simple enough or maybe we need to find a practitioner that is fruitful that we can learn from nearby. 
Excellent. Thanks. I'm going to throw some rapid fire questions at you. We probably don't have time to unpack them all just because of where we are on uh, uh, the time yet. But this uh, question, have you seen any casting out of demons and healings through new believers in any of the movements you've observed as a result of the filling of the spirit? Yeah, that's pretty normal, actually. Um, In fact, every movement I know of has got a lot of miracles. And again, it's just because believers are reading this. They don't know any better than to do what it says. And God's really moving miraculously through them. Um, I would say this, miracles are never the focus of um, movements, but they're just, they, they go along with people just trying to live out the biblical faith by the power of the Spirit. Okay. A couple of questions that actually are fairly attached. One is a little bit more of the, pan, the bigger view. T for T and DMM processes for church, for a church multiplication movement. Um, I'm sorry, church planting movement. How much of the Spirit walk, this book, is incorporated already now, or how is it being received now? This person writes, the exposure to these two processes till now has been very much felt like formulas mm-hmm. without much of an ancient path. Your response? Yeah, I think, I think that's exactly right. I think it's, there's a lot of practitioners that I've seen that are using things like T4T or DBS or different DMM methods. It doesn't matter what, me- what your methodology is. And they're just so excited to have a simple process that either they personally um, assume that the spiritual uh, processes are in place, um, or they just assume that if they just do one, two, three, they're going to get a movement, which never happens. So that's why I wrote the book, and it's why I've been training all over the world in terms of these things to say um, the foundation is the spiritual core. And then on top of the spiritual core, then we have to have smart, biblical, wise practices that build upon that core. And so I would just say to, to the brother that wrote that, um, yeah, if, and when you see that, it's a good thing to go privately to that brother or sister and, and challenge them on that in, in love, because without the spiritual foundation, there will be no fruit. And, and that's true. John 15 is really clear. You know, without that abiding, there will be no fruit that remains. Yeah. Uh, two remaining questions, then we're going to start to wrap this up. But um, how have those manifestations of the Spirit, we talked a little bit about that, deliverance from demons, there's healings and the like, how those affected the growth, health, and multiplication of disciples and churches in the movement? Um, I think it has increased their faith. And, and honestly, you guys, I would take, really any 10 believers from any of the 652 movements around the world and stack them against any just random sampling of 10 believers from, you know, non-movement churches or denominations. And you'd be amazed at their faith. You'd be amazed at their Bible knowledge, at their personal Christ-like patterns and so forth. So I think it's really done a lot to increase their faith. And again, it just underscores for them, Jesus is alive and well and moving in their lives. Final question is, should our goal be being filled with the Holy Spirit to be more cross-like? I'm sorry, Christ-like, or is our goal to have more power to implete our church planting strategies? We say to be Christ-like, but we are so driven <laughs> by what will it take strategies? Yeah, that's, I appreciate that question because, I mean, I mean, the, the, the answer is in the question, mm-hmm. obviously, to be Christ-like. Um, a lot of times, though, what we assume to be Christ-like is is the character of Christ, and it includes the character of Christ. It also includes the works of Christ. And so Jesus said, you're going to do even greater works than me. 
So again, remember everything in the Christian life is about both being and doing. And whenever we, we out, you know, get one out of balance, then we need to start reweighting the other side to counterbalance that. And so in our personal lives, if we see that the pursuit of Christ-likeness is, is basically doing his works, mm. our character is not changing or growing, then it's time to, to reemphasize more of that part of things. And it's very hard never to step into one of the two ditches, but that's part of our challenge is to stay down the path that the Bible teaches. Well, Steve, this has been rich. I'm going to ask you actually just a few moments to close us with a word of prayer on this and just to pray for those that are on this call and those that will be hearing and seeing this later. But on behalf of GACX, uh, Steve, we want to just express a heartfelt thank you for your faithfulness. Mm -hmm. Uh, You talked about the one-third, 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 but looking back in the rearview mirror, Mm -hmm. God's faithfulness clearly in and through you. And we praise God for you and how you have been not only able, but not, not just called available, but uh, the availability, availability and uh, your, your accessibility is also really uh, just truly to be commended. You're also, we hear reflecting the heart of Christ, uh, the spirit of God in and through your words, through what you've write, you have written And uh, we just want to express uh, that gratitude for your faithfulness in the kingdom work. And we stand with you along, uh, right up alongside you, both in health, but also in spirit to keep moving forward. Uh, When we look at the big picture, 2.3 billion identify themselves on this planet as Christians in one way uh, or another at least 5 billion without. And when we at GACX, and that's not just the name, but we truly join with many others, we realize 5 billion are unreached. The goal of one for every 1,000, just as a tangible measurement to see 5 million churches planted, every, every tribe, tongue, nation would confess that he is Lord. And this work is powerful. And uh, we just really, really appreciate it your time and your uh, your sharing with us today. So we want to encourage everybody uh, to go online and to um, access the book. Steve, how, how do people get to this book? Can they download on Kindle? What can they do here? Kindle. And right now it's available also in, in paperback form on okay. Amazon. And in fact, Amazon's discounted it right now. So it's a pretty good time Excellent. to buy it. <laughs> Excellent. Really appreciate that. Uh, so for, I'm going to have, you have the last word here, Steve, uh, but, um, we want to just say thank you to everyone as well for those that have been on this call. Uh, we just appreciate your ongoing connectivity to GACX. If you're not a member, please go to our website, GACX.io and uh, take a look at that for different, uh, blog pieces, recordings eventually that will come as well for this webinar as well. So, Steve, close us out, brother. Absolutely. Well, Father, we just tell you we love you. When we had no clue and no desire about loving you, you loved us. You loved us first, and you came and found us, and you delivered us out of the miry clay and raised us up and seated us with Christ in the heavenly realms. And Lord, you put your spirit as a deposit in our lives, as a seal for the day of that redemption that's coming one day when Christ returns. And so we thank you for the privilege that we have to be sons and daughters 
of the King. And it's in that that our joy resides. Then I pray, Father, out of that security, out of that joy, out of that sense of empowerment, that we will live lives that reflect your, your growing or our, our growing character of the God of God in our lives. That Father, we would reflect in our lives uh, the, the works of Christ through us, Lord, not just individually, but in our organizations and in the churches that we represent. So we want to tell you that everything we do, Lord, we want to be motivated by gratitude out of our love for you. And we want to present to you the Gentiles as a fragrant offering to be acceptable to you one day. And we pray that you would bring in every tongue, tribe, people, and nation before your throne in great number in our generation. We pray this in Jesus' name. I want to thank our friends at the Global Alliance for Church Multiplication for making this interview available. I'm Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast.